And welcome back to Regionally Speaking with Dee Dotson and Tom Maloney. Earlier in September, NIPSCO filed for permission with the Indiana Utilities Regulatory Commission, or IURC, to build a 40MW, 643 million natural gas peaker at the R.M. Schaefer site. Just Transition Northwest Indiana is actively opposing the build-out for what they believe will be an occasional use facility that either prolongs the use of fossil fuels for another 50 years or will be rendered obsolete due to more stringent climate regulations in the future. Joining us now to share the concerns from her organization is Susan Thomas, the Director of Legislation and Policy Press with Just Transition Northwest Indiana. Susan, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. My pleasure. So, Susan, where do we begin? I have spent several days doing research in preparation for this interview, and I must be transparent and share that I am still not prepared, but not because of a lack of doing the work, but really because there is just a lot to unpack. Now, for the average person, this subject matter may be just a bit above our pay grades. And I want to be clear. We're talking about fully understanding what a natural gas peaker plan is, understanding NYSource recently announcing its blending project and what that would mean, and so on. For many of us, our primary concerns are, of course, that we leave this planet, ensuring that our children and our children's children are safe from a climate crisis. And let's be real, our bottom line, and that is how our bills, including our energy bills, will impact our monthly budget, right? So I want to spend... The greater part of our time together today, having you break down Just Transition Northwest Indiana's concerns with NIPSCO's proposal to build a new natural gas peaker plant at its R.M. Schaefer generating station in Jasper County. And let's start with what is a natural gas peaker plant? Okay, so just um, just to put you at ease and your listeners at ease, this is really complex stuff. And um, it's not made very clear because the more we understand it, uh, knowledge is power. And the more we can object to this and speak up. And, you know, we're all, we're all working hard, caring for family, working, doing all of our things. And to be able to take a deep dive into these topics is, it is an unfun luxury. So, um, first of all, uh, the location of this is... Uh, proposed for the R.M. Shaper Generating Station. So that's in Jasper County. So a peaker plant is something that when, when we have a wave of really hot weather or really cold weather and we need a, a little extra boost, that's what these plants are specifically built for, are those peak uh, occasions. And no question, we because of climate change, we are having more and more of those. Uh, however, in spite of all that, uh, a, a plant like this will only be used 2% of the time. And uh, NIPSCO and NYSource made a commitment in 2018 uh, not to keep using uh, fossil fuel. So this is a real backslide as to what they stated. And uh, this is going to harm the clean energy transition. It's going to delay it. And this was also made without stakeholder input or uh, without additional analysis after their 2021 uh, report to consumers. So um, 
this just seems to be a gross expense that is unnecessary. And uh, consumers will be paying for this before the plant is even built. Okay, Susan, so indulge me a bit longer. Now, it's my understanding that a peaker plant will only run when the demand for energy is high. So we're talking millions of dollars to build this plant, and it sounds like those costs will be passed on to the consumer. And the position of environmental advocacy groups like Just Transition Northwest Indiana is that they are unnecessary and that they contribute to pollution, right? Correct. Okay, so the question would be why? That's a really good question, Dee. And I think as consumers, we really need to look at this. This is, uh, the NIPSCO is a monopoly utility. The, the five utilities in Indiana are all monopolies. And they are using uh, a, this was passed in the last legislative session. Uh, it was called House Bill 1421, Construction While in Progress. And that's otherwise known as QUIP. So this will allow them to start billing customers for this plant prior to even breaking ground, prior to it even being up and running, even if it never gets used. So consumers will be paying for this. Uh, this is, uh, they have three uh, requests for proposal on this, and they rejected them all in favor of building this themselves, which they've never done before. Now, the real danger here is runaway costs. And we're talk when we're talking about QUIP, uh, we need to look no further than what happened with Duke Energy in Edwardsport. Mm -hmm. They are the case study for how this can go terribly wrong. Uh, they went from uh, building a plant that they said was going to cost $1.8 billion. And at the end of it, it had skyrocketed to $4.5 billion. Now with Quip, because of construction while in progress, it's not that the utility builds their sparkling new plant and says, okay, consumers, here's the bill. Uh, it is happening in real time with very little transparency for cost overruns or goodness knows what. And if you've ever been involved in any sort of a construction project, you know how quickly that can happen. And they have no experience building a plant like this. So this is really, really interesting. Uh, this is... Um, this is going to impact consumers who are already having tremendous uh, bills, and the bills are, uh, we know this, the bills are going up this winter, and consumers are making choices, and they are really being forced to finance this. Susan, so you shared with Lakeshore Public Media a video from the 2023 Indiana Legislative Session in which Kevin Olson of Citizens Action Coalition, an environmental and consumer advocacy group, really laying out, in your words, what the damage construction while in progress, or CWIP, has done and will continue to do to our environment. And I should know for our listening audience that Kevin was giving testimony to legislators opposing House Bill 1421, which is now Indiana Public Law 83. Can you outline some of the concerns shared that your organization just transitioned Northwest Indiana also point to as concerning? Well, first of all, uh, Kerwin Olson, he's the executive director of Citizens Action Coalition. 
these uh, this organization is the champion of the consumer at the state house, and uh, the testimony that was given there was so informative. Uh, unfortunately, uh, our legislators, for the most part, uh, they are really wind and dine by the fossil fuel industry at a great expense. Uh, and and it, it's money well spent by the fossil fuel industry because, uh, for the most part, uh, the Republican supermajority and those on the uh, utility committee, uh, uh, House Chairman Ed Soliday, will do, uh, will work in tandem with them. We have seen it time and time and time again. So I think it really, really behooves consumers to uh, follow what's going on. There are public meetings from time to time. We, we actually held a meeting in Michigan City, uh, or a, um, uh, a rate case uh, field hearing. And we mobilized the community. Many folks came out and we testified in front of the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission and uh, the OUCC. And uh, unfortunately, the OUCC, uh, they sided with the consumer. But again, you know, the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, they are appointed by Governor Holcomb, and they are also, uh, work, they work in tandem. Uh, they shouldn't, but they do, <laughs> uh, with the utilities. And the utilities um, get what they want here. And I think we all need to pay attention to how is our legislators, how are our state legislators voting on this? What are they saying in these committee hearing meetings? There are a handful that are really champions of consumers. Uh, they are few and far between. And we need to come to these field hearings. Uh, we need to support these organizations and really speak out. Because, you know, when you have to make a decision for your prescription or your utility bill, uh, these, are, these are some scary choices. And the solutions that we are being offered are false solutions. We're talking with Susan Thomas of Just Transition NWI. This is Regionally Speaking. I'm Tom Maloney. She's D. Dotson. Susan, the last time we spoke on Regionally Speaking, we were talking about the increase in rates for consumers coming from NIPSCO, NISource, and uh, basically getting getting ready for a, a pretty stern or steep hit to the uh, the pocketbook coming up this winter. Um, so when customers are being front-loaded with the bill here, um, is there a any sort of a, a quid pro quo for consumers? Hey, you do this and we'll go ahead and lower, lower rates back again in the spring or summer when the demand isn't as high? Or is this going to be an increased cost that is going to be sustained ad nauseum to the point that consumers don't really ever see a, uh, an easing of their pocketbooks? Well, unfortunately, Tom, I fear it is the latter. And uh, we're seeing, you know, utilities asking consumers to pay for the toxic coal ash messes they're trying to leave behind, uh, paying for peaker plants that are not necessary. Um, you know, these are businesses that the bottom line is to enrich shareholders. Uh, and they're, the shareholders are doing quite well. And the consumers, uh, really, really not so much. And there was, in fact, there was a, uh, a health study done by Franciscan Healthcare uh, for Northwest Indiana. The third highest 
stressor for Hoosiers in Northwest Indiana is can I pay my utility bill? So this has far-reaching impacts into our mental, emotional, physical health. Yeah, we almost need side hustles just to go ahead and pay those bills coming up this winter. Susan, is there any benefit to the consumer when it comes to these these new uh, plants? Any, uh, I, anything I positive really, for it? Boy, I wish I could pull one out of my hat here, but I just we don't see anything positive here. Uh, there are other solutions that could have been made that are more technical. Uh, that I don't even know what what. Uh, what they mean, uh, energy storage with grid-forming inverters, demand response or purchases from the MISO market. Um, these are things, again, above my pay grade. I was going to say, that sounds like the small print on, uh, on the bill when it comes in the mail. Hey, we're doing this thing. And it's like, great. I don't know what that means. Exactly. Um, it's, it's daunting to try and figure this out. So are there are there public hearings at all where, where consumers can go and listen and or ask questions themselves to find out more about these? Yes. And unfortunately, those are also few and far between. Um, but I think uh, there might be a bit of a tide turning now because attendance at these public hearings uh, seems to be having a bump. And there's a tremendous amount of Wild West activity that is happening in terms of hydrogen, carbon capture storage, eminent domain, uh, as we are moving to uh, transition out of fossil fuels, as we must. Um, and these, these, the Wild West that is now happening uh, presents opportunities for public hearings and public meetings that have to be made. And I point your direction to uh, what's happening with Wabash Valley Resources in Vigo and Vermilion uh, Mortensen counties here in Indiana. Uh, the community there has mobilized in a huge way uh, with meetings. Um, Indiana Department of Environmental Management hosted a standing room only meeting. So people are starting to speak up. Uh, and I think we all, it behooves us all. Uh, to stay abreast of when these meetings are happening, where, and show up. Susan, you you mentioned this at the start of our conversation, but someone listening right now might raise this point, and that is that NIPSCO announced a goal of zero emissions by 2040. Now, I'm not sure if you or your organization just transitioned Northwest Indiana or in a position to answer this, but what, what if any, will NYSource's plans to mix natural gas with, with hydrogen have on carbon emissions? Okay, so I think what we all need to do is watch what they do and not what they say. Because what we've seen is backsliding and uh, going back on their work. And this is... Um, this is, seems to be a trend, and uh, the, their, their new project to, to, to start blending hydrogen with fossil fuels, again, backtracking on their promise to consumers to start moving away from fossil fuels, um, again, is another false solution that will en enrich the bottom line. And, and I, I have to add, uh, this is a dangerous false solution when we're talking about hydrogen and pipelines. Uh, it, it's not only going to impact our pocketbook, but um, 
it could be uh, very dangerous as well. Susan, before we end our time together today, I did want to share with you that Lakeshore Public Media reached out to NIPSCO for comments, and they will be joining us later on in the show to offer their rebuttal to our conversation today. Absolutely. Susan, thank you so much for your uh, time today during Regionally Speaking, and uh, we're going to be on the lookout, of course, uh, what happens with the uh, the new plants going up, uh, the possibility of new plants, I should say, going up across uh, northwest and north-central Indiana. Susan Thomas is the Director of Legislation and Policy and Press for Just Transition NWI, joining us here on Regionally Speaking. I am Tom Maloney. She's D. Dotson. Susan, thank you so much. I thank you. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. It seems that just about everyone is talking about AI these days and how it may impact our jobs going forward. While Goldman Sachs recently predicted that AI will replace 25% of the current workforce and up to 300 million jobs globally, one fact remains true in the financial world. AI can't create your financial or retirement plan. Northwest Indiana Financial Advisor Greg Hammer is here with us today to break down the pros and cons of DIY financial planning, as well as shed insights on why technologies like ChatGPT and other forms of AI just don't cut it when it comes to creating a comprehensive plan tailored to your unique needs and goals compared to a live person. Greg, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having me, Dee. Greg, so there are so many more people developing their own financial plans and investing in the stock market compared to just 10 years ago. What can you tell us about investing on your own? Oh, yeah, for sure, Dee. So, you know, we call them kind of the do-it-yourselfers and financial planning, investing. In our arena, it's called, you know, self-directing your money management. In other words, you're making the decisions. They're creating their own financial plans and they're building their own portfolios. Okay, Greg. So I'd like to ask you to break down the pros and cons of self-directed money management. So let's start with the pros. Are there a few pros for DIY? Oh, for sure. For uh, first, you know, DIY planning can be simple um, if you don't have complex financial house, you know, and you could start by putting, you know, roughly 15% of your paycheck towards your financial goals and retirement savings. And, you know, secondly, it does educate you, right? If you're doing it yourself, you're learning about financing. New investors and seasoned investors have to continually educate themselves on different strategies and to stay on top of market trends. So the more you learn, the more you will understand how to use the news to make new decisions and tie back to your financial goals. And third, investors who prefer to maintain control of their finances can do it by doing it themselves. And I would say, lastly, you save on fees. And when we talk to folks about, especially young investors, you know, not having a fee drag when you're looking to accumulate money, we call it the accumulation stage, is often more effective just, you know, doing, creating the allocation that suits your risk and continuing to add dollar cost average and not paying advisor at that point. So, Greg, what are some of the cons of the DIY investing or planning? Well, I think the biggest con is generally it happens without a plan. Right, having a plan is crucial for your success. Most people are just investing and based solely on return and the types of strategy they're using. So planning can help eliminate, you know, emotional investment decisions when markets correct. So if you have a plan when markets correct, you don't panic. 
you know, sell when the market's low, that type of thing. And what we see is over and over again, these investors allow their emotions to get the best of them and they end up losing money. So that's probably one of the biggest cons. They just don't understand what the expectations are and what things are going to do and happen with the market. And secondly, you know, while you learn a lot by going solo, the learning curve is very, very steep. So advisors like myself are constantly, you know, we're reading industry publications, we're taking classes, we're part of community groups, professional groups, educational platforms to constantly improve our trade to bring that knowledge to the investor. You know, it's similar to say, you know, I don't want to become the mechanic that fixed my car, right? I just want the mechanic to fix the car. So, you know, having in the knowledge, it's what, what you don't know, right? It, it, that's the part that becomes difficult. Now, Greg, I've heard you say that many self-directed investors focused on buying and not protecting their investments. So I assume that's a con, right? Right. So true. So when you're self-directed, you don't have professionally actively managing, you know, a professional actively managing your account who can help mitigate risk. You know, as we discussed, I believe last month, um, it takes extra gains to break even if after you've had a loss. You know, it's a, I lose 30%. I have to make 43% the next year to get back to even. So mitigating risk can help secure more money for your future than if you focused just, uh, you know, when you, if you, other than if you're just focused on like purchasing stocks and investments. You know, another con, you know, without allocating and diversifying properly, um, you could run the risk of, of, of losing things that you wouldn't be exposed to otherwise. And then lastly, it, it's tempting to get advice when you're doing it yourself from social media or even artificial intelligence. And that's that's a danger, in my opinion, because social media today um, is very responsive. A lot of times that information is very opinionated. Um, it's not necessarily stuff that is consistent with what's going on in the industry. So social media today can be very difficult to decipher and making decisions purely on that could cause problems. Right. Now, that's a lot to consider before going solo with finances. And it's a great segue to talk about AI. As we know, AI is everywhere. And for individuals who are DIYing it with their finances, it's tempting to seek advice from ChatGPT and other forms of AI. Can you pr provide some insight here? Yeah, of course. I mean, chat GPT, you know, if you, you know me, D, I'm not a high tech guy or artificial <laughs> guy when it comes to intelligence. Uh, but I learned a lot about chat, chat GPT recently because I have to. And what I found is they're only as good as the person who's entering the financial information. And, and what I mean by that is you can put generic information like create me a financial plan, but it, it's going to be a very generic response where you need to be very specific in the parameters and the questions you're putting into those artificial intelligent platforms. And, you know, are they credible? What degrees have they earned? You know, what professional certifications do they hold? Or what advanced professional training have they completed? And even if it's a professional, that person generally has no idea who you are or what your special circumstances are. And as you know, the everyone's circumstances are, are unique. Now, as you mentioned, ChatGPT might be able to explain some basic information to create a financial or retirement plan, like recommending to pay off debt, develop an estate plan, or even to select a date in which to retire and set aside a specific dollar amount each month. But can you give some examples of unique financial situations? Sure. There's a, let me give you just a couple of unique situations from everyday people. Like uh, one example might be my wife and I plan to retire 
but we have a special needs child. What's the best way for the two of us to provide not only for our child in retirement, but then leave him or her the estate upon our death so we're sure that they're going to be taken care of, both medically and financially? Uh, Another example might be, hey, my husband's the breadwinner, and while I was expecting us to spend the rest of our lives together, he passed away unexpectedly at age 58. While most women in my family have lived into their 90s, they needed long-term care. How can I secure future, a financial future and medical needs on one income? Um, you know, another example might be I love to work and I'm dedicated to my life and to my career. And what I was hoping to do is work as long as I could, but I was forced into retirement due to the pandemic or some other illness. What's the best withdrawal strategy for me to extend my retirement savings between RMDs, Social Security, and other options that might be more beneficial. So those are some of the things that, you know, create complexity where, you know, if you just ask AI, create a retirement plan, and you don't know enough, D, like I was saying, to say, well, how would this plan look if there was a premature death? How would this plan look if I have a special needs child? So that's what we mean by the generic part of the, the, the AI. You need to make sure that all of the questions you're asking are going to be able to tailor the plan to you um, and create a specific path that benefits you the most. You know, Greg, those are actually some very great examples. Now, no doubt there is a lot to be said for specific advice. However, there are some people who are listening now that will still want to go solo. So can you give us an example of when someone would want to go the DIY route? Yeah, I think one of the the very simple examples is employee-sponsored plans. If you have an opportunity to contribute at the company level, especially with an employer match, you know, you should be taking advantage of that. You don't need to hire a a financial planner to to create that benefit, you know, and create the value of doing that. Um, If you're going to do 529 college savings, especially in Indiana, the College Choice 529 plan in Indiana gives you a tax break. It's a non-fee program. You just sign up and contribute the money. It's all age-based, based on when the child's going to school. Very direct, very straightforward, and you get money back on your Indiana tax return. Um, another example might be with health insurance. You have a high-deductible health plan, open up a health savings account. Generally, uh, companies that have a high-deductible health plan automatically will have that set up for you. You just got to fund it, and that will help cover qualified medical expenses. Um, you have time and mental reserves to do the research. You know, some people like doing that. So we always encourage people to do that and it can help you understand, you know, where, how to invest in certain areas. And and I think probably one of the most important things, you know, if you are comfortable taking risks and know how to keep your emotions in check when the market drops, then you can create strategies that should have over time success. Great, great. Now, Greg, what circumstances would you suggest for someone to seek professional assistance with a financial plan like the services that you provide through your organization, Hammer Financial Group? Well, I think the the obvious is obviously complex situations like a complex estate. But I think probably one of the biggest things is when you talk about tax planning and tax management. I always tell people it's not what you make, it's what you get to keep. And how do we create efficiency and distribution? You know, now we're going from just investing to how do I get it out? How do I use it? How do I reduce lifetime taxes? Am I charitable? Um, Do I want to create a legacy for my kids? And if you're not familiar with current changes in tax laws like the SECURE Act 2, you know, which brought sweeping changes to tax and retirement laws, that can be very beneficial or non-beneficial to people based on how you're structuring those plans. So 
if you're within 10 years, for sure, five years from retirement, I think that's where there's a huge value add for working with a professional um, because a lot of people assume that their income will be similar, but it might only be 75 or 80% of what they're earning during the working years. And it's less, right? But when you have less money coming in, you don't want to lose it by taking Social Security at the wrong time. You know, how do I elect Medicare? Knowing how to pay taxes. Our conversion something that makes sense. Understanding that the types of assets you had are treated differently when it comes to distribution rules. So as you begin to enter the world of making more decisions, when we're working, we're accumulating money and we're investing. It's simple. It's straightforward. We're not taking money out. We're not subject to things like sequence of return risk. Most people can be effective effective if they have the emotional discipline to stay the course. But as you enter distribution phase, I tell people the simple part of it is the rules change and there's complexity that you haven't had to make decisions about. Medicare, Social Security, where and how do I take money from? How do I set up my distribution plan? How do the taxes work? What are the withholdings? So you enter a whole new world of complexity that we're just generally not familiar with. And that's where the fee value of an advisor that understands that stuff can create a lot of value for your portfolio and can easily justify not doing it yourself at that point. Greg Hammer is the president and CEO of Hammer Financial Group in Cherville. You know, Greg, you always offer great financial advice to prepare us all for retirement. And I'm always taking notes as you're chatting uh, with me because I always, as well as our listeners, we always learn something new. So we thank you so much for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Well, thank you so much, Dee. I really do enjoy doing it. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. NIBSCO, a subsidiary of NYSource Inc., has made a request with the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, or the IURC, to adjust its natural gas base rates. The request is largely driven by federal safety and compliance regulations, system upgrades to support economic development and job creation, and infrastructure modernization and improvements that directly benefit communities and customers, including an estimated $1.1 billion in investments through the end of 2024. The proposed increase filed with the IURC will undergo a thorough and nearly year-long regulatory review process that will allow for public input in order to strike the right balance of cost and service for NIPSCO customers. Joining us now to discuss the request for rate increase, as well as explain what one of the infrastructure improvements are, is Andy Campbell, Director of Portfolio Planning and Origination, and Tara McElmary, Communications Manager with NIPSCO. Andy and Tara, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having us. So Andy and Tara, as part of NIPSCO's long-term electric generation strategy, known as Your Energy, Your Future, NIPSCO announced the retirement of 100% of the remaining coal-fired electric generation by 2028. And included in that announcement was the plan to replace that energy, more sustainable options like wind and solar. And you just announced the addition of a natural gas peaking resource, plants that only run when the demand for energy is high. And that leads me to my first question. What is a natural gas peaking resource? And why is this addition of a natural gas peaking resource needed? I'm happy to take that one. I think what's important to, to note is we announced the retirement of our coal units all the way back in 2016. 
team as being the most economic uh, path uh, for customers on a forward-looking basis. And of course, in 2018, we announced that we'd be retiring the coal and replacing predominantly uh, with renewable resources, including wind, solar, and battery storage. I think what's often lost in that is natural gas was always going to be a part of the portfolio going forward. Um, we have an existing uh, Sugar Creek combined cycle power plant in Terre Haute, Indiana, as well as uh, two natural gas peaking facilities at Schaefer Station in Wheatfield, Indiana already. And, and really, this addition of the peaking facility is, is meant to effectuate the full retirement of the coal uh, by 2028. So the peaking facility will be uh, housed at Schaefer, uh, along with uh, you know, the, the renewables in the general area, as well as uh, further support the retirement of the existing peaking units at Schaefer Station. So at the end of the day, we'll have this one peaking facility available to the market um, when high demand is present. And, and really, we need that to support reliability across the system. So earlier, we spoke with a representative from Just Transition Northwest Indiana, and they voiced concerns regarding the cost of the actual peaker plant to consumers. So, so I want to ask you, what are the costs that are associated with building this peaker plant? Because let's be honest, at the end of the day, most people that are listening right now, most people are concerned with their budget, right? So the question will be, will the cost for this peaker plant affect NIPSCO consumers' monthly bill? Yeah, so the, so the regulated utility uh, in Indiana, we're, we're able to recover the cost to, to service our customers' needs. And I'll, I'll tell you, the, the Peaker, um, we run what's called a integrated resource plan. And this is in some of the materials that were provided prior. But this integrated resource plan is run every three years and looks at the forward market, all the costs associated with new technology across all sources. So that wind, solar, nuclear, additional coal, gas peaking, gas, combined cycle. And it's stress tests across multiple future markets and the additional gas peaker pointed to in our 2021 IRP uh, was supported as one for the reliable needs of the customers to support safe and electric uh, transmission of electricity to their homes but secondarily uh, was a low-cost option for customers so when considering other technologies such as battery storage it would have cost more over the long run to to build that battery peaking capacity in addition to um, or in lieu of the, the gas peaker. So the peaking plant uh, ultimately is going to is going to come out of the, I guess, the pocketbooks of NIPSCO consumers and customers. Um, the benefit then, I guess, is the reliability of gas available during uh, peak hours. You know, here in here in Northwest Indiana specifically, um, you know, I don't think we've ever really dealt with, uh, you know, catastrophic power outages like we've seen in Texas uh, during the winter or high usage time during the summer. Can you, ex- either one of you, uh, Tara or Andy, explain the NIPSCO grid and sort of how these peaking plants will work to go ahead and supplement what is already a, uh, I guess, an in-use and probably pretty robust system? Yeah, happy to, to dive a little bit more into that. 
So, so NIPSCO is part of a broader integrated market called the Mid-Continent ISO. And ISO stands for Independent System Operator. And they're what um, is essentially exists to create the energy market. So all of our um, generation, including our wind, solar, whole while we have it in service, as well as this gas peaker, are made available to that market. And we're actually mandated to have our available generation available to that market. Um, it is picked up and dispatched on a reliable reliability basis first, and then goes through uh, a process that does it at the lowest reasonable cost. So if you think about what do I need to support the grid is kind of the first test that the market does. And then the second test that it does is how does it do it at the lowest reasonable cost? And that is occurring every five minutes as we as we sit here right now. Dispatch signals are sent to, to power generators across. The, the entire mid-continent of the United States, all the way up into Alberta, Alberta, Canada as well, to support reliability. And that part of the grid will basically effectuate the peaker along with all of additional resources supporting its load along with the load of all customers across that, that market. So on that note, then, I guess maybe for Tara, um, what have you heard from outsiders across Northwest Indiana, people who are either in support of and or against uh, this this peaker plant or at least the proposed uh, peaker plant? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, some of the questions you all have already raised. And in fact, since we announced our um, transition toward a more renewable-based portfolio, the concern has been reliability. Um, I would say that was that would be actually the top concern we've heard. Um, so the addition of this peaker should really, you know, hopefully put people at ease. Um, the the addition of this natural gas peaker to kind of bridge the gap between those more intermittent sources like solar and wind um, is really kind of as Andy was mentioning with the broader grid. It's it's really a public safety um, resource um, to keep that energy flowing, you know, smoothly and reliably um, in a way that our customers have always come to expect from us. So, um, you know, this peaking resource is really going to help um, us take that step to a more balanced portfolio as we move away from um, our coal-fired units, which which have reliably served our customers for a number of decades, but are just, um, you know, becoming obsolete as um, we're looking you know, at the broader market and looking at the, the you know, advancements in technologies um, that are more cost effective um, for customers. And this addition of the peaker helps us maintain that reliability that they expect. Yeah, and as a matter of context, just to add on to that, um, the gas peaker helps support the, the retirement and it's the existing coal generation. This is a very nimble resource. It can be online and supporting and producing energy for customers in, in a matter of five to 10 minutes, whereas you know, the existing coal units can take upwards of 12 to 24 hours to, to bring online from, from a, uh, you know, a completely offline status. So this is a much more nimble resource. It's meant to turn on, run when it's needed, and then uh, turn off quickly, just as quick as it turned on. So a pretty quick turnaround in that regard. That's Andy Campbell, and we're talking with Tara McElmer 
as well here on Regionally Speaking. Both of them joining us from NIPSCO to discuss the new Peaker plant as proposed by NIPSCO. We recently talked to Just Transition NWI as well and got their comments. Those comments are available on our website at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, as will this conversation be uh, once it is concluded. This is Regionally Speaking. I'm Tom Maloney. She's Dee Dotson. Okay, so in parking on the recent conversation we had with a representative from Just Transition Northwest Indiana, they also voiced concerns regarding NIPSCO's commitment to zero emissions in contrast to the announced speaker plants at the R.M. Schaefer Generating Station property, with plans to be constructed at the same location by the end of 2026. So does this plan remain consistent with NIPSCO and its parent company, NYSource's previously announced goal to achieve net zero for carbon emissions by 2040? Yeah, so the, the overall uh, commitments by the company NIPSCO, as well as its parent company, NYSource, was a 90% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2040. And this gas peaking facility is contemplated in that commitment and fully supports that. Um, the, the peaker over time uh, can burn our alternative fuels such as hydrogen, and, and that's one of the things that kind of talked about in the broader marketplace as a, as a potential future for carbon reduction uh, from these type of facilities. So, Andy, so that's a great great segue to my next question. So, NYSource recently announced the blending project of hydrogen and natural gas, and we've heard concerns from community members right here in northwest Indiana regarding what that will look like should a project of that magnitude take place right here in the regions. So take a moment to unpack the blending project and what, if anything, it would mean for Northwest Indiana. Sure, yeah. Um, so actually, um, the the hydrogen blending project that was announced on October 5th um, is occurring in um, a different state in iSource's footprint um, in Monaca, Pennsylvania, uh, which is with our Columbia Gas of Pennsylvania uh, sister company under NYSource. Um, so um, it's not happening in, in Northwest Indiana as of now. Um, you may have heard last week's announcement of the U.S. Department of Energy's um, you know, Clean Energy Demonstration Award of $7 billion to the different hydrogen hubs. And you know, NIPSCO will be supporting um, the Midwest Alliance for Clean Hydrogen hub that's happening um, closer to home here. But as far as the hydrogen blending um, project that um, is happening in Pennsylvania as kind of, um, you know, uh, a, a test to, to see how that would work. And they've, they've actually built a specially designed model home equipped with natural gas appliances to simulate everyday um, usage in a residential home environment. And um, they're going to be, uh, you know, testing out the different levels of hydrogen mixed with natural gas um, to see um, the optimal blend percentages and their environmental and consumer benefits over time. So, again, that's happening in uh, Pennsylvania. So as we talk about the transition out of coal into more natural gas, wind, solar, et cetera, um, what is NIPSCO's timeline or what is, I guess, maybe the overall timeline in terms of uh, bringing in more solar power and wind-powered energy to customers and consumers in Northwest Indiana. Yeah, in terms of the, the we've already announced quite a few uh, wind and solar projects. Uh, in fact, there's 14 of them total. We actually uh, took a first step on this uh, with the renewables because of 
the economic benefits of, of moving quickly towards that direction. And now we're coming in with the peaker to support the reliability uh, needs as, as kind of effectuated from the retirement of our last coal facility in 2020 by 2028 with Michigan City and the two gas peaking facilities at Schaefer. Um, so relative to our existing portfolio, we're, we're going to be almost two thirds to 75 percent renewable by the time we get out to that 2028, 2030 um, basis. Um, relative to the amount of energy we produce today. So I think, you know, we're, we're making strong moves in the, in, in what I'll call uh, the green movement in, in order to support reliable needs of customers. And, and this uh, gas peaker is a help uh, backstop some of that need. Finally, Andy and Tara, in the time that we have left, I want to circle back to the interview that we had earlier with the representative from Just Transition, Northwest Indiana, because I wanted to be sure to give your organization, NIPSCO, the opportunity to respond to another criticism they voiced during our time together. So what is NIPSCO's response to climate and environmental advocacy groups who voice concerns over what they perceive to be a blurred line or close relationship with utility companies and regulatory commissions? I think NIPSCO's, you know, uh, you know, what I would say is NIPSCO partners with all stakeholders, uh, advocacy groups, Office of Consumer Counselor, uh, as well as, um, you know, interveners in our regulatory proceedings, really to support reliability, as well as, you know, the, the economic cost drivers for customers, all the way through the what I call the value chain of the integrated resource plan. Uh, so any new resource we take to the commission has to be supported by an integrated resource plan and ultimately goes through a stakeholder-driven process to arrive with an integrated resource plan, but then also to put forth the, the regulatory proceeding and the outcome associated with it. So we don't just work closely with the commission. We really work closely with all stakeholders and interveners, hear their concerns, and, and work to you know come to equitable solutions. I, I think that's kind of been represented in a number of our uh, recent rate proceedings where we've actually reached settlement rather than going through fully litigated uh, proceedings. And I think that just demonstrates this commitment to, to working with stakeholders and hearing everyone out uh, on that. I don't know, Tara, if you have anything else to add. I think you captured that pretty perfectly, Andy. You know, I think it's, as you were talking about the broader grid um, of the Midwest, you know, it's important that we all kind of work together to solve the future of energy. Um, so, as Andy mentioned, working, um, you know, not only closely with the commission, but other utilities throughout the state and the broader um, grid operator is important to ensuring the reliability as we move forward um, into some new energy technologies. And one last question. Um, when will the uh, the next public hearings uh, happen? We have a file before the commission, obviously, the, the case that supports the, the gas peaker. Um you know, interested parties are welcome to become a part of that proceeding, kind of pursuant to the IORC rule. Uh, and I believe there's a hearing scheduled for some time uh, next year down in Indianapolis, but I, I don't recall exact date or if it's actually been scheduled, but it would be sometime next year. Okay, so something for uh, for people to go ahead and monitor and kind of keep an eye on for. That's Andy Campbell, Director of Portfolio Planning and Origination, and Tara McElmurney, Communications Manager for NIPSCO. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us here on Regionally Speaking. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. 
And just an additional note to our conversation, NIPSCO announced Wednesday that it has in fact filed a request with the IURC to raise its natural gas base rates. If approved, any newly approved rates would be spread over two steps, with the second step occurring no later than March 2025. Based on NIPSCO's proposal, an average natural gas residential customer would see an estimated overall increase of approximately $8 per month or 10.6% above projected bills at the time of implementation. NIPSCO stressed that it does not mark up the price it pays for natural gas used by homes and businesses and customers pay the same dollar-for-dollar cost that NIPSCO pays. With Halloween just a few days away, you may want to take a few steps to ensure that you and your family members stay safe. Network Indiana's Sashua Nixon explains. Even if you are not planning to participate in the holiday festivities, there are many around you who likely are. So if you feel like taking a drive Halloween night... Expect the unexpected. Be very careful as you're entering and exiting driveways and alleys. If you've got young drivers at home and they're maybe inexperienced, you may just want to discourage them from driving on that particular evening. That's Captain Ron Galibis with Indiana State Police. Sasha Nixon, Network Indiana. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to our guests, and we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show.